0: to come together in community and just wrestle with um, some of the wisdom that we find in the Bible and um, from those who are writing and helping us to have a better understanding of who you are and how you want us to interact with one another in community. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be present, um, that you would be honored by our conversation and discussion today, and that ultimately you would be glorified. Thank you for this time. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I need to start out, first of all, in um, just saying this, last week, I had said, said, read this phrase, promises provide the internal framework for every relationship and every community, and those were not my words, those were Christine Pohl's words from this book, and I just want to clarify that. Along with the list at the end, um, in your notes about the things that can be challenging to keeping promises and also the things that strengthen those, that list came from Christine Pohl, not me. And so I just want to clarify that, it's important for you to know that. So let's talk about last week, we talked about um, keeping promises, making promise, keeping promises, what stuck, what kind of nagged at you this week, what challenged you this week? And I know Dan and Annette Frank, hey, are watching on TV because Dan just got home from work. So this is important. So, what from last week stuck with you, challenged you, nagged at you? Of
1: course, I will talk. So, I lie. think the biggest thing that hit me was just the importance of promises and promise keeping and just the differences in what they are. Mm -hmm. A vow is different than a covenant. A covenant is different than a promise and that we all make them. Right. And sometimes we make them half-heartedly and some things like marriage we want to take more serious. Mm -hmm. But every promise and everything we do like that is very important
0: to God. Right. Right. I mean, promises are such an integral part of what how we interact and how we do life together, a lot of times we don't even think about the promises that we're making or the promises that we're expecting people to keep. Anybody else? Is a thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: Amy, one of the passages of scripture was the Great Commission. Yeah. And for decades that has bothered me as to what it really means. The, it's wide open. Go and make disciples. Well, who is that, and how am I supposed to do it? And I see examples that I think, boy, that can't be what he means by that. I mean, somebody standing in the street corner in San Francisco waving a Bible, yelling at people to pre, to repent. Right. Now I'm sure that person thinks I'm doing, I'm fulfilling this command. Mm-hmm. To me, it seems, boy, that might be counterproductive. Christians aren't necessarily going to feel good about that. So it's just, it's the wide openness of that that has plagued me, probably because I don't have an evangelistic bone in my body. Oh, you
0: You do though, I think we all do because, um, I think we do when we don't even realize we do, because when we are um, intentional about how we live and how we live, and we'll talk about this today, in an an effort um, to glorify God, and have a Christ-likeness, I think we do that, um, and that's part of our evangelism, that's part of our call to live that. And so even if we don't feel, like, I would agree with you, I don't feel like any, the stereotypical evangelist that like we think about on the street corner. Um, and, like you said, and what um, Russ said a few weeks ago, sometimes Christians, can be the worst enemy of Christianity, right? And how we approach this, yep.
2: Follow up, follow up on that. In in the last couple of weeks, if I see one, someone at like uh, Menards that needs a hand loading up their stuff. Yesterday I was down um, at a hotel uh, waiting for the power to come back on and uh, I took these thr- these old three older ladies. I took their breakfast plates and put them away. Mm-hmm. I did not have. Th- I didn't feel compelled to right. say, "Oh, I'm a Christian." Yeah. You know Right. It was that to me is just throwing it in your face, over the top.
0: Right. Yep. Anybody else? Promise keeping, promises. I, I agree.
1: You know, with it's kindness mm-hmm. and. Um, go you therefore and make disciples unto all nations. But bringing a bowl of soup down to your neighbor that's sick. I think right. anything that you can do mm-hmm. is in a kindness right. and representing God, but you don't have to, like, go in the street corner. Right. And uh, But just being kind and right. being there.
0: Right, yeah. And I think about that um, acts of service, like, how important is it for Pete, for the children that walk through Timberwood Church, to have a classroom to go to on Sunday, and to hear the big God story, right? That service, that's part of that evangelism. It's also part of that um, spiritual formation for kids as well, helping them to learn and grow. Anybody else? Yep.
2: I found
1: during that.
2: Uh when promises are made I take them way too seriously I expect them to happen right and uh, when they don't you're disappointed right so
0: and as your daughter and neighbor I can attest to that like I know like I will always tell my kids and this happened this morning Papa expects you to be at his house at 8 30 you need to be there you need to be there and so yeah I think that, um, what would happen if we all (laughs) were more serious about the expectation of people keeping their promises or the expectation of ourselves keeping our promises? I mean, I think that's what the question is when we talk about promises and how that has an impact on community.
2: Well, I had a concrete situation this morning. It's 6.30 and that was a no-show. So it kind of missed our men's group this morning. Yeah. And it was kind of like a promise, but Yeah. Yeah, kind of like
0: what. Right, kind of like we talked about um, last week with small groups too, being having that commitment and that promise to the group um, to participate and be a part of that. Okay. Um, So this week we're going to dive into this idea of um, living truthfully, and your handout looks a little bit different this week. There's not as many terms because, and I gave you a lot more space to write notes about truth. so if we define truth like a Google search of it, it's pretty straightforward. I always love when definitions use the root word of the, root of the word we're looking up. So the definition is that which is true, to which I'm like, duh, <laughs> give me more. Or in accordance with fact or reality, that's better. And another word that can be used in actuality, like what is actual. Okay, what is actually happening? What is the fact? What is reality? Paul says it um, this about the connection between promise keeping. There's a nice link, um, an appropriate link, and, and an obvious link to promises and truth. And I want to read that with you for you. She says the capacity to make and keep promises is central to all of the other practices but promising is connected to living truthfully in particularly important ways truthfulness and fidelity form the structure of community and constitute trust which is at heart which is at the heart of our relationships so promise keeping and trust is at the heart of all of the relationships that we have and so that's a nice bridge to what we have to talk about here. She also kind of coins this phrase um, truth-shaped living. So I started out saying, um, and I'll continue to say living truthfully, but in her book, she talks about this concept of truth-shaped living, and she asks two questions about it. First, she says, what does a community or congregation look like that loves truth and lives truthfully look like? And the second one is, what would truth-shaped living be like? So what would it look like in community? And what would it be like to live that way? And so that's what we're gonna explore today. So with no further explanation, when I said, or I have talked about her questions about what truth-shaped living looks like or what truth-shaped living is, what do you think is involved in that? Yeah. Honesty. Honesty. Yeah.
1: Consistency. Consistency.
0: Yep. Commitment. Commitment. Yeah.
1: Not on time sometimes and if there's no call, if there's no reason for it. Mm-hmm. I, Dan and I have had this discussion. We've had this <laughs> discussion. I said, That says you're lying to me. Mm. If you say you're gonna be somewhere and you're not, yeah, that says you're lying to me. And I yep. don't have time for lying. Right.
0: So yes. promise keeping, right? If you're not keeping your promises, then you're not being truthful, right? So th- I mean, there's such a close connection, and that's why at first I thought I need to cover these two topics together, but I can't. <laughs> I mean, both topics can have complete classes by themselves. So, right, we talk about you know honesty. I don't have to do that, do I? Um, but it seems like it should be more than just not telling a lie, right? We t- we teach our kids, we talk about lies you know, but I think living truthfully or living a truth-shaped life has to involve more than just not lying, right? So if it involves more than just not lying, it also is talking about what we do and what we speak, right? So, yeah. very sweet aunt she died a few years ago and I remember at her funeral my uncle got up and said you need to know that the Jill that you saw out in the community and at church was the exact same Jill at home and I think that's sort of what this idea embodies yeah it's and it is the consistency like like you were saying yep um and also just reminds me of the verse of you know out of the heart the mouth speaks Mm -hmm. and I I think it is this idea of being the same person yep. to everyone. Yep, being consistent. Yep. So um, so speaking truth is something that we talk about, or sometimes we say, spe- we use the phrase speaking truth into somebody's life. What does that even mean? I think we need to be real careful <laughs> between the two And we'll talk about that. Have you heard that before? Somebody say speaking truth or speaking truth into somebody's life? Okay. So what is the truth? What is the truth that we are supposed to be speaking into somebody's life? Consistency of what you're trying to show them. Consist. yep. Yep, consistency. Yeah, people are watching us. Yep. Whether we realize it or not, our kids are watching us. Gently and in love. Gently and in love. Yep. Yep. When we when you hear when you hear a Christian, somebody who is a follower of Christ, say specifically that somebody needs to speak some truth into that person's life. What does that mean? What do you hear? What have you experienced? It can be a couple things. It could be could be they're it could be that they're critical and they're judging. Yep, it could be critical or judgment. yes yes Yep. yeah affirming people's identity yep and we'll we'll talk about that I'm glad you brought that up but I also want to go back to Jim because you know that person on the street corner might think that they are you know speaking truth into people's lives you know and telling them what Telling them the good news of Jesus, who Jesus is, right? The promise of the new covenant, what all of that means. I think sometimes, when I think of speaking truth into somebody's life or speaking truth, I think about the truth of who Jesus is, the truth of the promise that we have available to us. That's what I think of when I think of speaking truth. And it was kind of simply that and anything that went along with that. And it's true because the Bible calls us, right, from week one, we are all called, we are disciples, and we are to make more disciples, and what that, in, what that means is that we are sharing our faith in Jesus, we are sharing ourselves through a Christ-like life, living a Christ-like life paying attention to Jesus' character and how he interacted with people, how he did community, okay? So that's part of the calling that we have. That's also part of speaking truth. Paul has, um, Christine Paul, made a distinction between tr- the, um, about truth that it really kind of like caught my attention. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the truth, or I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus connects himself to truth and his life and the life that he embodies, exemplifies, and teaches truth. Right? I'll say that again. Jesus Jesus connects himself when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus connects himself automatically to truth. And when I read that, I was like, oh, and we are supposed to emulate Christ. We are supposed to, we are called to have a Christ like life, which looks like Christ. How do we interact with people? How do we deal with controversy? How do we deal with difficult people? All of those things. So he connects himself to truth, and his life embodied exemplifies and teaches truth. And we have it in here, like gospel after gospel, story after story. It shows how he has exemplified this truth. And so thinking about how we interact, how we relate, how we live life, how we do life with other people actually really matters. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about living a truthful life or a truth-shaped life. So what are the other aspects beyond, you know, our Christianity or our faith? What are the other aspects of truth-telling? What are other parts of being truthful? Being reliant? based on fact, we are probably going to, when we communicate and we're truthful, hopefully we're, f- we're sharing factual information, which I think can be really sketchy these days because there's so many sources of information out there. And I think it's really challenging for us to find some truth. And um, my husband tells this story a lot during COVID when we were home a lot And the tv was on he started getting really frustrated and actually kind of crabby and um flipping through channels and he was just disgusted and mad and finally one day i was like what is going on with you like you are actually being rather difficult to live with because you're that ornery and he says i'm just trying to find some truth and i'm like well you're certainly not going to find it on the tv I said, "How?" he's like, no, I mean, so, but it was kind of, and he will say, it was kind of like that wake up, like, what am I doing? What is the source of our truth? And that in itself could be a whole nother day of this class. What is the source source of of our truth? And so factual information is something um, that I think is part of truth telling. What else? Russ?
2: Founder of my university, thank you, um, who said, For here, we are not afraid to follow the truth nor tolerate error so long as reason is left free to combat it. So there's three parts there. We follow, we pursue truth. If something, r- if we make a mistake or an error, we admit it. Yep. And number three, we um, <coughs> are um, willing to uh, accept the, the difference in opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Right. That's awesome. I'll send it
0: to you. Yeah. Okay, sounds great. Yeah, so truth, facts. The other thing that I thought about was, oftentimes we're, we're, we'll share the reality of a situation, right? Like sometimes it's not great. Like the reality is, I don't know, like our world, Our culture, our life as we know it, probably really isn't going to go back to what it was pre-COVID. That's the reality of a situation. People might not want to hear it, but it may be the reality, and that may be that is speaking truthfully. Any other examples? Right. Right. So reality is the answer to a question that has already been documented and has happened. That's a fact. The reality I think of when I think of a reality, I think of like um, the here and like more of the here and now of a situation. The reality of it is. um, But yes. You're right, oftentimes realities are already proven, and then they have become facts. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. What about telling somebody a truth about something that they don't necessarily want to hear? It can be dangerous, right? What might be examples of something that somebody doesn't want to hear? A diagnosis. A diagnosis. What?
2: My wife saying, "How come you didn't do that? It was on your honey do list."
0: <laughs> Why didn't you do that? It was on the honey do list. That's fair. Okay, Judy, what you said. What did I say? The Bible. Oh, yeah. Um, the Bible says this, and that's not what you're doing. Okay, yeah. the Bible says this, and that's not what you're doing. And so, you know, this, this idea of maybe drawing attention to sin or inappropriate behavior or whatever it might be those can be difficult messages to give and to receive and so speaking truth does sometimes include truth about what something that about something that is wrong even if we don't want to admit it It also means truth about a wrong decision that we might have made. It might be the truth about somebody's character, like dishonesty, or being sneaky, or, I think as parents we watch this, (laughs) I do. Like I watch my kid's character develop, I'm like, oh no, like, (laughs) we need to catch that before it gets out of hand, or you know what I mean, character-wise? But sometimes there are things that um, need to be pointed out and can be in a, in a loving way but I think that this is where things get really really tricky and it's a really slippery slope because speaking truth we need to ask this question what is the purpose and the source of the truth we tell What is the purpose and what is the source of the truth that we tell? Because if we're not careful, truth can simply become a means of control or conformity. If we're not careful, truth can simply become a means of control or conformity. And now we're going back to this idea from the first week, this idea of perception, right? So we, ha- we might perceive something based on what we have experienced in our life, and that is what we believe to be true or the way things ought to be done. And we oftentimes, because of what we experience in our life, have determined how we think people should act like certain people should act a certain way. And so when we talk about the source of truth, we need to be careful about where it comes from. Controlling others is often part of truth, using truth, but it's also oftentimes a protection for our own reputation or our image or our self-image. Sometimes using truth or creating truth is in an effort to protect ourselves or somebody else. Protect our image, protect our, What's um, what I'm looking for, reputation. Which can backfire as a parent. Let's yeah, let's go there.
1: (laughs) Controlling uh, father Mm -hmm. who met well, but it never was sit well with me when I'd walk out the door and he'd say, "Remember who you are." Mm -hmm. And I know where he was coming from, but I didn't like it. Yep. And uh, it was probably maybe more about him than me.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I'm sure you know that's a challenge when you're. In this day and age, even more so, right? right? With all the social media in interacting, and, right? You know, kind of tearing down the family dynamics.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's super challenging, and that goes back to the first week when we talked about um, social location and spiritual location. And somebody asked the question, "Who's like the spiritual location? Like for wh- for who for what?" Is it like what I think my spiritual location is or is it what I hope other people think my spiritual location is, right? And so the same, same thing kind of goes with parenting, you know? Do people think I'm a good parent? Is it, is, you know, am I truthfully a good parent? I think parenting is a really hard thing to be, well, it's an easy thing to be judgmental about, but it's a really damaging thing to be judgmental about. And somebody said to me um, years ago when we were going through some mental health crisis with one of our kids, and I felt um, like people were gonna, I actually said, this should not be happening. You know, we're intact family, we're, I, I'm a teacher, I'm, you know, all of the things, and I was worried about what people would think about us. And then somebody said to me, this isn't about you. And I was like, what? Because the world tells me it is, but somebody who loved me in this building said, this is not about you. It, up until that time, it actually never occurred to me that my child's behavior, actions, whatever, is not about me. And whether or not I agree with them or disagree with them, it's still not about me. People might want to make it about me, but hopefully I'm raising independent kids. I mean, they need to be independent. If we just create these robots in life, and, um, you know, I think about faith and bringing our kids up in faith and wanting them to know who Jesus is, and, you know, do they have my faith? I hope not. I want them to have their own. And so how do we how do we do that that can be ch- parenting can be so challenging yeah is everyone's truth the same? good question so that goes back to the oh sorry the g- question is is everybody's truth the same so that gets into super sticky weeds, I think and um, you know people will say there's this universal truth that everybody should be living by. And then other people will say that there is, you know, our experience, our social location impacts our truth, right? And so, yeah, I don't know. I think it, I think that's a great question. It's a really good question. Yeah. Oh. And when I heard
1: that, it, it just hit me like a rock. Like, truth is a person, which, you know, you were referring to Jesus' words. Yeah,
0: you know, yeah. And if you define truth that way, there is only one truth. It's not everybody's personal truth. Right. Yeah, truth is a person. And if you go back to Jesus and his truth, I think that um the world... I think the world and our culture wants is completely okay with us developing our own truth, you know, our own compass, our own moral compass. You know, but as followers of Christ, what is it, you know, and and we're talking about like the primary things. You know, when I when I talk about truth, I'm not talking about every single detail of you know, the things that we are reading about in the Bible, okay? So, for example, do we believe that Jesus is the covenant representative for us, the Son of God? You know, do we believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our one, three in one? And so, it's those kinds of, like, hallmark truths in our Christian faith, I think, that we need to stay grounded on, but yeah, I think that's a really sticky question. Is everybody's truth the same? Yeah. Yep. They may have a deeper tr- deeper of truth yep. Yep. To, uh, yeah. A non- yep. No yes. Yeah. So spiritual maturity plays a role in that as well. And I um, I just started a new class um, on Monday, and it's called, um, yep, it's really good. Um, it <laughs> I'll think about it and get back to you. Um, yeah, um, my professor, in the very first lecture that I watched, in 45 minutes, really did this wonderful job of explaining theology, um, which is, you know, the study of who God is and and the desire to gain this understanding of who he is. And she said this, and I love this because we're doing this class on community. We We need each other. We have to be in community. We cannot develop our understanding of who God is in isolation. We have got to intersect with each other because everybody has had different experiences. Um, And she also said, which reminds, you know, it kind of connects with what you just said about spiritual maturity. She said, don't ever um, negate or neglect or think less of the person who hasn't been you know, to formal education or to seminary because not everybody is afforded the luxury that we have of going to seminary or going on. But the experience that people have um, is important and we can learn from everybody. So we need each other. I think that's the cool thing. Like she said that, and I was like, yeah, so good. On Bible. Yeah. Yes, yeah, really good. So the Wednesday discussion groups that are broke out, um, that's a really good example of we need each other. Like that's us chewing and wrestling with scripture together, right? That's like the whole idea of having this discussion and conversation is saying that we need each other to, to figure this out, to learn about who God is and what that means in our life, so yeah. yeah yeah right
2: yeah yeah yep. you know, yep.
0: yes but yet they all had to work it out. right so the the disciples, all different you know walks of life, they had to work it out, they had to challenge each other, hold each other accountable, you know truth had to be part of their conversations. I would hope, I would think. So this perception, the context, the social location matters when we're talking about truth. And I think we have to be really careful when we're applying truth to people and what the source of it is. And it can be, you know, very good intention. The other thing that my professor said that I was just like, what? She said, I need all of you. I need all of you to participate in this class. And this is a class that I'm going to be going out there for two weeks in July. And so we'll be together. Our class will be together. She says, I need you to come together because you help me to continue to form my theology and my understanding of who God is. She said, I'm giving you the best I have right now. Like, right now, I'm giving you the best I have as your professor. But in 10 years, because of all these interactions, I may, like, shift. I mean, I think we all have shifted. I hope we're all growing and not stagnant. So as we reflect about this, I reflected, how often does our speaking in truth bless the receiver? How often does my speaking in truth or speaking truth bless the receiver? Because we just got done talking about some of the hard things, hard truths that can be talked about. And it can be really easy for us sometimes to point out people's faults, differences, the things we don't like, that we don't disagree with, the, the sin in their life. It can, be, it can be really easy to point those things out. But then I wondered, how often does our truth bless somebody? And even speaking truth with um, hard things, it can be a blessing. Speaking hard things to somebody can be a blessing if it comes from genuine love, which is the first two words in Romans 12, 9, which we have been reading, the marks of a true Christian. The very first sentence talks about genuine love. Let love be genuine. So I think that truth speaking, even when it can be hard, can be a blessing to somebody as long as it comes from that um, origin, that love, that genuine love that we are called to have for one another. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, there's one saying
2: that, uh, goes, when you point a finger at somebody, here three of them, are pointing back at you. Oh. And in the process, you're, you're actually being given the opportunity to see that fault in yourself. Mm-hmm. If you don't like something in another person,
0: right? there's,
2: there's a little bit of that yeah. And you.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I have heard that before, too. Amy? Yes. Also,
1: um, in speaking truth, t- before one would speak truth, it certainly takes a lot of prayer. Yes. Should this go forward? Yep. Or I pray about it? Yes. And... Um, Yes, sometimes it can be more hurtful. Yes. But it definitely has to be done in love.
0: For sure. Yes, yes, and yes, we will talk about that. You do have to have a relationship with somebody. There's a lot of things to consider. So, um, the motive matters, right? That's what we're talking about right now. The motive of this matters, context matters, like the relationship you, you have with the person matters. The tone in which you speak matters. Your body language matters when you're delivering a message. The timing matters when you're delivering this message. I think the timing matters. (laughs) I mean, all of these things matter anytime you're speaking to somebody, you know, truthfully um, or trying to, you know, be helpful in love. When we talk about speaking truth into somebody's life, how often do we speak about the good things that are going on in their life? That's what, I mean, so my brain went from how often is my truth a blessing to somebody and how often do I talk about the good things in somebody's life? Or am I constantly, like I think about my kids? You know, when was the last time I affirmed my 18-year-old son? I mean, he's not home that often. But, you know, when is the last time I think about that? Like my, my interaction with my teenagers sometimes can be very draining for them and me. <laughs> like how many times has one of them said, Mom, I know, I've heard this. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, how often do we speak about the good things? Do we speak about the truth about the helpful things that they do? Do we speak about the good decisions that they have made? And I'm not just talking about teenagers or our kids. Do we talk about the blessings they are to us, how glad we are to have them in our lives, how glad we are to have them in our family or part of our community, that they add value in some way? Do we express gratitude and appreciation for others? That goes back to week two. That's a blessing, that's a truth, that can be a blessing, gratitude and appreciation. How often do we acknowledge or identify character traits in others that annoy us or we deem troubling versus how often do we identify character traits that are also modeled by Jesus? How often do we do that for somebody else? How often do we bless somebody with the truth of their interaction, or their character, or their posture. I think about when we describe some people. I think about my mother-in-law, she is no longer with us, but when somebody describes Margaret, they will always use the word gracious. She was gracious, she was hospitable. She invited people into her home like strangers. Like, she always had extra food, and her kids would come home, and they're like, who's this guy? You know, it might have been one of her clients. She was a home health nurse, but strangers to the kids. Hospitable, she was gracious. She never let anybody talk about anybody. If the the conversation went a certain direction, and we were being disparaging, and she would say something like, come on now, that's not, that's not very gracious. <laughs> so how often do we identify those characteristics in people that could be life-giving truth to them or affirmation? So I read today, um, I get this devotional from Fuller. It's Life for Leaders, and this morning's um, devotional was titled Avoid Flattery, but Affirm Freely. And it was written by Mark Roberts, and he um, he's also a professor at um, Fuller. But he uses First Thessalonians chapter two to differentiate between flattery and affirmation. And he also points out that Paul is a great example in chapter two of speaking truth in love, which we're called to do in Ephesians four fifteen. Speaking the Truth in Love, when he very intentionally, very intentionally affirms the Thessalonians' faith and efforts throughout chapter chapter 2. So he wrote this letter to affirm them, tell them, identify for them what he appreciated about their faith and about the efforts that they were making to advance Christianity. Then, (laughs) after reading that article, that devotion this morning, I had a conversation with Fred this afternoon about the importance of affirming our young people because they don't get a lot of affirmation oftentimes. I liked being a middle school principal because um, I always felt that middle school students were some of the hardest people to like, and it hurt my heart that they frustrated adults so much. And so I always wanted to be an ally to them, and so when they would do stupid stuff, and I, I've talked about this in my one of my sermons before, when they did stupid stuff and they ended up in my office, and I would say, come on, buddy, what were you thinking? And of course he was like, I don't know, because you know what? He wasn't, because he was 13, (laughs) you know? So, I mean, having some empathy, you know, you're going to go and you're going to help the custodian, you know, clean out the toilet. Thank you very much. And then you're going to call your dad or mom and tell him, you know, what you did today. So, Affirming. So she was talking about um, getting these prayer cards, the prayer cards from Sundays. And um, oftentimes these teenagers or or kids will just share these heartfelt prayers for other people. It's not that. They're not praying for something they want or need or they're praying for somebody else. And she says, I just, I'm going to write a note. And tell them how lovely it is for them to be concerned about somebody, their grandma, and how Christ like that is that their concern would be for somebody else. So, affirming is so important. Okay, so how often we speak, how often we are speaking in truth, how often are we blessing the receiver? with the truth, I kind of feel like if we're not blessing the receiver, like honestly blessing the core is not meant to bless somebody, we probably should question it. Okay, So this is talking. Paul also talks about this idea of being true. Okay, being true is a key part of truth-shaped living. So if telling and speaking is what we hear, what about what we see and witness? Or what we show others or let other people see? Is that not also part of truth? I'll say that again. If talking or telling and speaking truth is what we hear, What about what we see or witness or what we show others or let others see? That also has to be part of our truth-shaped living. So um, Christine Pohl says this about truthfulness. When we describe a person as being true to her or his word, We mean that there is a close correspondence between what she or he says and does, and that he or she or her individual or his individual life has integrity. Her trueness is often evident in her keeping promises. Because of this, she is viewed as trustworthy and reliable. Someone we can count on because of her truthfulness and fidelity. So it ties back From week one that idea of fidelity and then last week that idea of keeping promises and that's part of our truthfulness those are actions that's doing right that's that orthopraxy what does this look like and so telling and speaking truth is only part right what does this look like it's all part of living truthfully like i said What do we witness? What do people see? What do we show others? And what do they see of us? And I ask these questions because I think social media has given us a tool to really pull us further away from living truthfully, because we have the capacity to edit all of the bad, hard, embarrassing, ugly parts and moments of our lives and then, in turn, the people that are seeing it see only what is fabulous. And that is not truthful, because nobody's life is actually that great. I mean, life's not that great and pretty all the time. And so, because of that, I, I stopped posting on Facebook, and then I stopped looking at Facebook. Now I just use Facebook at work. It's only on my computer, and I pull it up so that I can see somebody's face, like match a face with a name. (laughs) But Instagram, same thing. TikTok, although some of these photos that my kids take of themselves are really not that flattering, (laughs) and they send them anyway. And then, don't even get me started on Pinterest. I... I love Pinterest, and I will admit that. I like Pinterest. What it, I was that teenager when I was a kid. I would buy the magazines, Seventeen Magazine, Teen Magazine, Glamour, all the things, and I would rip pages out and like put them in files, or I'd cut them out and make these little idea boards or whatever. I think that was even before it was cool, but it's all we had, or hair. I had short hair, and so I was always in search of pictures of women with short hair. I I wasted a lot of money on magazines with no women with short hair in them. So Pinterest has been really helpful in that. So it is my idea board, but it also perpetuates our culture of discontentment. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago too, being discontent. And so social media, I think, really has pulled us further away from what is truthful. Pinterest is kind of the same way. You know, you have these beautiful pictures of houses or people who, you know, wear, you know, clothes that are beautiful and you don't, I don't actually look like them. I'm short. I'm not, you know, six feet tall. So we present this version of ourselves that people... Um, we, prese- we, excuse me, we present this version of ourselves to people in our in-person interactions as well. So not only do we do this on social media, we curate this perfect life or this edited. Okay, lots of people nowadays are not being perfect, but we're curating this life, right, on social media. And I think we bring that to our, interac- our live interaction with people as well because we may not be as truthful about what is going on in our lives or what has gone on in our lives or what we're experiencing. So what would happen if people saw the real deal, the unedited version of our lives? What are we afraid of? What are we actually afraid of letting somebody see inside? Rejection? Yes, thank you. That is the exact word that I was looking for, hoping for. You are very vulnerable. And you're vulnerable to what? What does the word vulnerable mean? Being vulnerable means that we are susceptible to physical or emotional attack or harm. I mean, that's a pretty blunt, straightforward vulnerable. We are afraid of judgment, right? I shared my experience as a mom. I was afraid of being judged, my parenting being judged based on, you know, what was going on with one of my kids. We're afraid to be vulnerable. We don't want to share our weaknesses or our struggles or the pain or the hurt, our past, our Past experiences, because we fear judgment, rejection, pain inflicted by other people. And yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, yes. Thank you. How often do we ask somebody how are you today? I mean, we're Minnesota nice. I feel like somebody did a whole like a sermon on this about being Minnesota nice and asking people how they are, and we just give the answer. What do we say? Fine. I'm good. I get that all the time. And then I'll stop and I'll stand right in front of somebody and I'll say, "No, like how are you really? You really want to know?" And then really sometimes people will just like fall apart, and sometimes people will be like, "No, no, I'm really fine." I'm like, "Okay." Yeah. Right. Right, so that's a very intentional campaign from um, the mental health world um, of putting messages out there for kids and anybody actually, adults as well, that this message is, it's okay to not be okay. But I don't think we believe that yet. I hope that we can get there, but the more we put it out there, the other thing is, is that the more people that aren't okay, that admit that they're not okay, are gonna make it more okay to not be okay, right? If people still pretend to be okay, this is not going to get better. We need people to be vulnerable. We need people to take the risk of being vulnerable and sharing. So um, a friend of mine a couple weeks ago shared this article with me. It's titled, If you want to see change, you have to be vulnerable. And it's from Relevant Magazine um, website. Not the physical magazine, but the website. If you want a copy of it, I can send it to you. Just email me. Um, This article is written by Mark Baker. And Mark is a clinical psychologist and has a master's degree in theology. Um, And he is the executive director of La Vie Counseling Centers in Pasadena. And Santa Monica, California. He also wrote a book that I ordered after I read this titled Overcoming Shame, Let Go of Others' Expectations and Embrace God's Acceptance. Bam. Wouldn't that be nice? So here's what he says. I underlined, highlighted things. We both love vulnerability and fear it. We absolutely love to see the truth displayed by others, like reality TV, all that kind of stuff, but we're afraid to let others see us. It's only when we are most vulnerable that we can experience the connection with God and others that we were designed for. But it is also exactly when we are at the most vulnerable that we can get hurt the most. And that's the danger. That's the risk we take. It's only when we are most vulnerable that we can experience the connection with God and others that we were designed for. But holding our stuff back doesn't allow us to truly connect to the way we ought to or that the way we were designed to the way God wants us to. People are oftentimes open to the facts about their life. They'll say like, oh, I'm an open book. Ask me anything. But they'll only tell you the facts. They may not give you much more than that. And that's not really truly being vulnerable. Vulnerability is taking the risk to expose yourself emotionally. It feels uncertain, but there is no other path to the most meaningful experience you will ever have. We were created for the purpose of connection to God and others, and vulnerability is the requirement for achieving that purpose. I mean, he's pretty pointed about this. And then he goes on to say, um, Jesus taught a lot about joy and love, but he never taught his followers to avoid pain. He never fought, taught his followers to avoid pain. To Jesus, vulnerability was certainly not a weakness, but was actually a sign of spiritual strength. I, I, I love. If you want a copy of this, I'll send it to you too. I tend to be. Um, I tend to be pretty open with myself. Um, and sharing myself with people, and sometimes it makes people uncomfortable. Not really the people that I'm being open with because I discern, you know, who and when and how much and that kind of stuff, but other people who know me who who don't want to be as vulnerable, I make them nervous. Like, why are you sharing so much of yourself? Well, because I'm kind of tired of pretending, you know, so. Why not? Why not? I think vulnerability vulnerability. Yes. Yeah. I feel like if I'm not vulnerable, other people won't be vulnerable with me. And I hope that I can, you know, be that trusted person for somebody. Yeah. Yep. Right. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah, so not living truthfully can be a tool that we use to protect ourselves, right? It allows us to avoid or deceive other people. And it also allows us to deceive ourselves and pretend that there's not something there. And so if we just don't talk about it or we just don't let it out into the light, maybe it will go away, but it doesn't. And I'm not talking about sharing. I mean, there are things that you can't share, you shouldn't share. You know, there are people who have experienced trauma that if they, sh- they would only be re-traumatized if they share it, and I'm not talking about that. And I'm really not suggesting that people share every aspect of their life with every person they come in contact with, right? That's not what I'm talking about. But what if our experience and the pain that we have experienced or the struggle... What if sharing it could be a blessing to one other person? (coughs) I think there's a lot of people in our community that are willing to share some pretty painful experiences to come alongside and bless somebody else. And that's the beautiful thing about being part of community is living in that truthfulness. There are things that are really painful and really hard, but we don't have to go through them alone or in isolation. Remember, we need each other. That's part of needing each other to be vulnerable so that together we can learn more about who God is. I feel very um, strongly about people suffering in silence. Um, It breaks my heart, it makes me sad, and sometimes it actually makes me mad. (laughs) Because I've heard my colleagues say this, I've said this before, I've said it doesn't have to be that way, or it didn't have to be that way. If you would have just reached out, if you would have just said something, or even now, it doesn't have to be this way, I'm here for you. Like when you're ready, I'm here. What if sharing a struggle or a hurt or a pain with a trusted friend, a pastor, or a therapist actually opened the door to healing and redemption? Not this, you know, painful, like I'm worried about this person not, you know, keeping their promise to keep quiet or keep confidential about it. But what if being vulnerable is the one thing that you have to do to heal or open up the door for redemption or reconciliation or whatever it is? The things that I tend to share with my about myself, you know, sometimes it's preaching on a Sunday, it, or it's here, or it's one-on-one conversations. I tend to share a lot of my experiences in attempt to connect with people and also give people permission to share, um, to not be alone in what they struggle with. I share struggles in parenting, with mental health, struggles with insecurity. Struggles with perfectionism, um, fear of disappointing people—like so many things. There's so many things that we actually can share with people. And some of you probably heard that list, and you're like, "She what?" Right? But in a close com- in a in a close relationship, you know, when you get to know people, you open up, and there's more of a of an opportunity to be vulnerable and to share those things and to connect in that. Feel alone. Amy? Yes. Um, another thing, too,
1: with, uh, like you said, with sharing with, uh, first. Yes. Discerning first yep. before sharing yep. is so important. But the Holy Spirit will lead you through many, yes. many times. Yes. And it's always so interesting with past experiences, it's so interesting after the sharing. The person, thank you, thank you, yeah, thank you, and and then it opens up to what can I do about, it? what can you do about, yeah. it? what do you want to do about? It? You can bring it to the Lord, right? Bring it to the cross where there's healing,
0: right? Because a lot of times there are people, I. There's a lot of pain and there's a lot of suffering and there's a lot of hurt, and honestly. Um, I tend to be a fixer, and so I want to help people feel better, and um, I have to stop myself oftentimes because um, it's not my role, for one thing. Unless somebody comes in and says, I need you to help me problem solve this, um, I have been working really hard to do a better job of listening and then um, guiding my friends in prayer and, you know, being vulnerable and together and doing this hard stuff together right discernment is super super important we have to ask like you said Linda is it helpful is the timing right is the context right why do I want to do this or why do I feel I need to do this is it for my benefit is it for the person's benefit How well do I know this person? There have been a lot of times when I um, think I need to share a hard message with somebody, and um, I have learned um, over the last few years that timing is everything and that people need to be ready to receive something or hear it. And so I will oftentimes pray for the, an appropriate opportunity and, um, and to be honest with you, sometimes I do this prayer because I actually don't want to do the truth-telling. I'm like buying time. That's how this first started out. I'm like, I don't really want to do this, so I'm just going to see if God actually really wants me to do it. <laughs> and a lot of times he does. And so I pray about this. Is it at the appropriate time? Is it helpful? Is it rooted in genuine love? I ask that God would provide the opportunity, like an opening in our conversation or our interaction, and also the gracious words for the conversation. And I can't tell you how many times that door has opened. And sometimes I'm like, oh, really? Like now? (laughs) I wasn't really ready for this. And then oftentimes the words that I hear coming out of my mouth are like, oh, that was sweet. That was not me. (laughs) But that was really sweet. Because he will provide the opportunity. He will provide the gracious words that are needed. I don't think we have to force truth into people's minds, like the guy in the street. We don't have to force truth. But we do have to be in community, we do have to be in a relationship that is conducive to vulnerability, which is conducive to being truthful with one another. And then the other side of that is the reciprocating of truth, right? The expectation that we want to have of people being truthful in our communities. So I know in your worksheet or your handout that I gave you. There's opportunities for reflection. And last week I didn't give um, adequate time for people to reflect, but I do have a couple of questions for reflection now, not something that you need to share here, because I think that some of these things are really super personal. And then there's also parts um, for reflection after class. So I'd like to just give you like, 10-ish minutes, and I know that sounds like a really long time, but I have found in my personal experience and with other people that I love, we avoid silence. We're afraid to sit in it and ponder some of these questions. So that's why I want you to do this. So 10 minutes. First question is, what has living truthfully looked like in your life? And then the second one, how often is your speaking in truth or, sp- or speaking at all a blessing? And how, how likely is it received as a blessing? For those of you that are at home, the questions for reflection are, what has living truthfully looked like for you in your life, and second, how often is your speaking in truth or speaking at all a blessing and likely to be received as a blessing? was 10 minutes hard? I just really don't think that we're quiet very often. (laughs) Back when I did Ash Wednesday, and then I, you know, read through the psalm, and then I left 15 minutes for contemplation (laughs) and journaling. Oh, 15 minutes felt like forever. But it just, I feel like it shows how uncomfortable we are with just sitting and being quiet and contemplating and thinking and engaging with God. So the reality of truth-telling is not going to happen until we really start to contemplate what it means to live a truthful life and then also work towards what does that look like in community? What does it look like in our own lives? We, like, what we talked about today only scratches the surface of living truthfully. There are so many other directions that we could have gone with it, like, is everyone's truth truth? Or, here's a, this is one that, um, that Christine addressed in her book a little bit, this debate of um, whether or not lying is ever okay. If it's to benefit somebody else or to like say, save a life or whatever. So that's a, that's a you know that's an ethical type of dilemma and debate that's going on out there. So we just scratched the surface of this and I hope that it gets you thinking about living truthfully and what that looks like. And I also think that the questions that um, Christine Pohl asks need to be constantly considered. And those are, I think What does a community or congregation look like that loves truth and lives truthfully? These are the questions that I posed or she posed at the beginning of class. And then what would truth-shaped living look like? So that's the consideration, that's the contemplation that we need to continually have. And then finally, I think this is um, one of the questions in the um, reflections for you to do after class, that you can do after class. How would living truthfully in the ways that we discussed here, impact your relationships, your community, or your society. I mean, these are, I think, two, to me, more obvious ways of living truthfully, not necessarily two of the easiest ways to live truthfully, but certainly something that can have a pretty um, profound impact on our, on our community and our relationships. Okay, my class, Modern Theology in a Global Context. (laughs) Modern Theology in a Global Context. I can never, when somebody asks me what it is, I cannot. I do not know why. Maybe because I've taken two years of classes. I don't know. Anyway, any questions, comments before we close in prayer? I really hope that you will take this and contemplate um, the after class. I did list the scripture that um, were referenced or read um, so that you can go back to that and kind of pull that picture back together on your own as well. Okay, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you um, for this evening. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to examine uh, your word and um, how your disciples in the past have lived out the command and the, um, the posture of being truthful in community and in life and in relationships. Lord, I thank you for the example of Paul um, in his letter to the Thessalonians that, um, that he is able to show us that we have an example of what it means to be affirming and truth-telling um, for those that we love Lord, I pray that as we go about that um, our truth telling, our truth seeking, uh, the source of it would be honoring to you and um, that you would be glorified by our efforts in being truthful and also in the truth that we seek. Be with us as we go out and um, are part of our sphere of influence. Lord, I pray that you would help us to practice and remember what it means to be truthful and the and truth. Um, impact that it can have on your global community and global church and our individual relationships as well. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine going to school any place else. All right. I think a lot of people...